Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. O our Lord, we have sinned, this we do confess. Hear our cries, cleanse our lives, relieve our distress. O our Lord, tears of shame fall with each desire. How do we learn to will for what is higher? O our Lord, paradise seems so far away. Then again, all too soon, we shall face your day. O our Lord, we feel lost like ships run aground. Send us faith, keep us safe, help us when we're down. O our Lord, let us find the rope from your door. Give us strength to hold tight, so we may endure. O our Lord, we do not understand your way. We can do nothing but seek your help each day. O our Lord, we are blind to this gift we live. We are deaf, we are dumb, yet you give and give. O our Lord, everywhere are signs of your grace. We long for the time when you unveil your face. O our Lord, you are not found in time nor space, but you said that our hearts contain such a place. O our Lord, we do fear the loss of your light. Without you, darkness rules, day is veiled by night. O our Lord, you have sent mercy to mankind. May your peace be on him till the end of time. O our Lord, who are we to receive your breath? Perhaps this mystery will be known through death. This week's short story is entitled, Commitment's Reward. Paul still couldn't believe his eyes, yet there was a proof in front of him. An engraved invitation lay on his desk 
indicating that Paul's presence was requested in order to meet with one of the richest, most powerful men in the country. Thursday, 11 a.m. At first he thought the whole thing might be a hoax or an elaborate joke. So he had pulled out the phone book, found the number for the man's headquarters, called and confirmed that yes, indeed, Paul Johnson had been invited for brunch at the downtown offices of Jeffrey Martin Thrace IV. And should Mr. Thrace be expecting Mr. Johnson on that occasion? How could he say no? Of course he would attend. The invitation also had mentioned something about an award of some sort was going to be presented. However, being a relatively modest man, Paul did not inquire into that facet of things. Besides, he only had a few more days to wait before everything would be revealed to him. Around 9 a.m. on Thursday morning, Mr. Thrace's office called informing Mr. Johnson that a limousine would be by to collect him and bring him to the scheduled brunch. How considerate, Paul thought. Picking him up certainly wasn't necessary. Nonetheless, the offer was a very nice gesture. Very much appreciated, so why not? This kind of thing had never happened to Paul before. In general, he lived a fairly austere and disciplined life. Quite plain, really, and therefore... Paul didn't run in the sort of circles where brunches, limousines, awards, or the rich and the powerful were common companions of his. However, every so often, Paul saw nothing wrong with living a little as long as things didn't get out of hand. Besides, divinity does work in mysterious ways, and perhaps the invitation might represent an opening that would permit Paul to gain access to opportunities which would enable him to begin to spread the word of God in new ways and among other groups of people beyond his current horizons. Paul had nothing against rich or powerful people. The laws of normal statistical distribution demanded that someone had to be rich and or powerful. Moreover, what were these laws of probability and statistics other than God's artwork made manifest? More importantly, Paul thought, sometimes people were so caught up in concentrating on all the things the rich and powerful possessed that few people ever stopped to reflect on what these people might not have, such as peace of mind or a sense of purpose beyond their businesses and affairs of office. Perhaps Paul could be of some small service to such people. Nothing big, just a subtle presence that sooner or later might help induce someone to move a little closer to his or her Lord. He couldn't imagine what the award was all about. Yes, Paul's religious center did offer a limited amount of help within his own small neighborhood, but hardly anything approaching Mother Teresa's efforts or struggles. Possibly his weekly newspaper column was having more of an impact than he realized. If so, that certainly would be a welcome surprise, especially when so often he wondered if there was anyone out there who was paying attention to what he was writing. At 10.30 a.m. the limousine arrived. Paul was ushered into the vehicle by the chauffeur, and Paul was whisked away to the 11 a.m. appointment. 
Once he arrived at Mr. Thrasis's flagship building, he was taken to a private elevator that went straight to the penthouse suite. The hundred-story journey was quick, quiet, and smooth. When the door of the elevator opened at its destination, Paul was met by Mr. Thrace's personal secretary and led through a complex of rooms before entering a doorway which opened to a huge, beautifully decorated office. Coming towards him was Mr. Thrace, who wore an elegant blue suit and a very warm, engaging smile. He said, Thank you very much for coming, Mr. Johnson. I'm sure you are a very busy man, and I appreciate your having made time for me. Please, let's sit over here. And he directed Paul to an area that was set off by several plush leather couches and matching easy chairs. They sat down and Paul took a brief visual tour of the office before returning his attention to Mr. Thrace. There sure is quite an office you have here, Mr. Thrace, and I must say I am rather nonplussed about being invited, but I do want to thank you for your kindness. Mr. Thrace moved his hand back and forth as if to say, really, this is nothing. He too quickly gave his office a once-over and said, well, this place is not as nice as some others in the city that I have been in, but we like to call it home, and he smiled in a sort of self-effacing manner. Mr. Thrace continued on. I hope you don't mind, Mr. Johnson, but I have taken the liberty of ordering for both of us. I'm sure there will be a number of things from which you can choose, even if not everything is to your taste. In any event, the food, such as it is, should be here shortly. Paul nodded a gracious, not at all. He sat back and once again surveyed the room. Mr. Thrace interrupted Paul's inspection with, I'm going to get right to the point, Mr. Johnson. The reason I have brought you here is because of my daughter. Paul was caught off guard. I'm sorry you said your daughter? I don't understand. Well, Mr. Johnson, uh... Do you mind if I call you Paul, and please, it's Jeff. Of course, by all means, and Jeff it is, Paul added with a self-conscious laugh. Jeff said, The last couple of years I have been pretty worried about my child Stacy. She's 17 and has been going through a lot of things, as do most teenagers, and, well, I am sure you would agree, Paul, we live in perilous times. Paul replied, Amen to that, brother. In any event, my daughter began to pick up some very disturbing habits and ideas. At least to me and my wife, these things were quite disturbing and upsetting. We couldn't control her because, like all of the Thrace lineage, when Stacy sets her sights on a certain goal, well, there's almost no stopping her. Paul nodded his head. A thought ran through his mind as to where this all might be leading. A request for an intervention of some kind? The conversation was interrupted when a portable dining table was wheeled in and maneuvered to the area where Paul and Jeff were sitting. Stainless steel covers were removed from several of the dishes. Mr. Thrace was asked if there was anything else he wished, and when the answer was, no thank you, Miles, the man left the room. Jeff invited Paul to help himself. A few minutes of silence followed as the two filled their plates with selections from among the various dishes. 
Paul began to eat and listen. Jeff spoke between bites. Things had pretty much reached a crisis point with our Stacy. She was arguing with us all the time. She was rejecting the values which we had tried as best we could to instill in her during her formative years. She was behaving in ways that, quite frankly, Paul, were very alarming, if not downright offensive to my wife and me. I hear you, Jeff, believe me. I hear what you are saying, Paul commented. Jeff nodded in acknowledgment of Paul's words and continued on. We took her to see counselors. We put her in and took her out of a number of private schools, and none of this worked. Stacy's heart and ears were closed to us. My wife and I were desperate. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know where to turn. We didn't know with whom to talk about this. Our friends were kind of keeping their distance from us. Moreover, they had told their kids to stop hanging around with Stacy. I can remember something I read a long time ago, I forget where, in college maybe. It was a story about a stone that was placed in a garden, and over the years the stone began to take on the beautiful smells of its surroundings. However, somewhere along the line, the garden got destroyed, and the stone which had been part of the garden was used in the construction of an outhouse, and with time the stone began taking on the smells of its new residence. The whole thing being, I guess, that people, like stones, absorb some of the qualities of the environments in which they spend time. Paul smiled. What a wonderful analogy, he said. I believe I will use that in one of my upcoming talks. Jeff continued on. Well, as bad as things got, and just when we didn't think things could possibly get any worse, the bottom kind of dropped out. Stacy became more and more removed from us, and pretty much everything we had struggled to teach her over the years. I'll spare you the details, Paul, of all that happened. Paul gave a look of commiseration. Jeff, please, is there something that I can do to help out here? Jeff's face, which had been distorted with pain, suddenly brightened. No, Paul, you have already done it. That's the miracle of this whole sad state of affairs. You have managed to turn our Stacy around. She's a completely different person since you've entered the picture. Paul was confused. I don't believe I know or have ever met your daughter, Jeff, so I'm not quite sure how I could have altered the situation any. Actually, Jeff said, your help came in the form of a combination of things. Part of it involved the talks you gave down at your center, Part of Stacy's transformation came as a result of your weekly newspaper column, and part of it was a result of discussions that Stacy had with young people whom you had influenced. Stacy finally has returned to her old self again, thanks to you, Jeff said with gratitude. This is why I invited you here today, Jeff added. This is why I wanted to present you with an award of recognition. And incidentally, there was a check for $100,000 which accompanies that award. Jeff reached into a briefcase which was laying on a small table by his chair. He pulled out a framed parchment, a check, and handed both of them to Paul, saying, Both Mrs. Thrace and myself wish to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. 
Quite frankly, we would be willing to pay 10 times as much if it would help ensure that you could continue to do your good work. Jeff leaned back against his chair and watched Paul look at the frame award and the cashier's check before remarking, We are so impressed with the way things turned out. We were hoping you might be willing to talk to the children of our friends as well, who recently have been indicating that all is not well in Shangri-La as far as their youngsters are concerned. Paul shook his head and kept saying, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I, I had no idea. A brief silence ensued. Finally, Paul put the award and the check to one side and asked, Was there anything in particular that I said or that she read which may have been of particular importance to Stacy? Paul, actually, Stacy mentioned quite a few things, replied Jeff. However, the words which come to mind are dogmatic, rigid, intolerant, unforgiving, sexist, narrow, hard-hearted, divisive, inhumane, and egocentric. Jeff seemed to be going through the list to see if there was anything which had been left out. When he was fairly satisfied that the list was complete, he said, That's about it. Paul was totally lost. I guess I don't understand what you're saying, Jeff. Pretty simple, really, Jeff replied. You see, Paul, my wife and I are atheists, and Stacy was becoming very interested in spirituality, and this interest of hers was causing a lot of havoc in the Thrace household until you came along. You were so arrogant and overbearing about who was going to hell and who was going to heaven, and you spoke so disparagingly about anyone who didn't believe as you did, and you were so judgmental about everyone and everything, and you were so inflexible about issues of right and wrong, and there was so little room in your lexicon for words like love, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, tolerance, patience, and empathy, that Stacy got totally turned off to the whole idea of spirituality, and she is back in the fold as a fully committed atheist. So, once again, Paul, I doff my cap to you, and we are wondering if you would have any free time to be able to come out to our house this weekend to give one of your talks to the children in our neighborhood. We've got a lot of atheist friends who are becoming very nervous about their children's budding interest in spirituality, and we are sure that you are just the remedy for this dilemma. The title of this week's musical interlude is Equinox.
near one of the most violent places in the universe, just outside the event horizon of a black hole that is the equivalent of six billion solar masses, in a galaxy known as M37, which is 53 million light-years from Earth, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. For the past several weeks, I have included an announcement in the Sufi Reverberations Podcast that talks about the free download of a software package entitled Bridge. Those announcements allude to a Patreon project with which I am associated, The purpose of that project is to raise money to underwrite the costs of gifting books to different libraries in North America. The books that are to be gifted consist of the 40 books that I have written over the last several decades, and the subject matter of those books covers an array of topics, from Islam and the Sufi path, to religion, education, constitutional law, spiritual abuse, sharia, quantum physics, cosmology, evolution, psychology, political science, medicine, and 9-11. More than 45 years ago, during a textbook prejudice campaign conducted in Canada, in which I participated shortly after stepping on to the Sufi path, I learned that most people in North America have a very poor and often distorted understanding of Islam as well as the Sufi mystical tradition. My Patreon gifting project seeks to help alleviate the aforementioned sort of ignorance by gifting quality research materials that are written from an Islamic and a Sufi perspective. You can find out more about this project by visiting https colon backslash backslash www anab a n a b hyphen white house w h i t e h o u s e dot com and click on the menu three option of the drop down menus and then click on patreon the title of the following essay is equality inequality seemed to permeate every level of human existence Only a little observation and reflection is required to confirm the seeming omnipresence of inequalities. Intelligence is not distributed equally across humanity. There are huge discrepancies between, say, severely challenged Down syndrome individuals and the intellectually gifted. The chasm between the rich and poor appears to have existed since the beginning of recorded history. In between these two extremes has been a fluctuating number of moderately rich and moderately poor people. Inequality one comes to mention reflects the same inequality of distribution. Creativity, health, beauty, handsomeness, spirituality, talent, ambition, leadership, business sense, athletic ability, power, charisma, status, illness, fame, honesty, kindness, and so on, are all unequally distributed. This is true within as well as across all racial, ethnic, and national groups. Moreover, it holds as well across history. The distribution of most, perhaps all, of these qualities probably could be reflected fairly accurately by a bell curve. In other words, there would be 
relatively few people on the low and high ends of a scale depicting the degree to which a person possessed a given quality. As one approached the median from either side of the scale, the numbers would gradually increase until they peaked at the median point. Despite all of this inequality, Sufi masters maintain we are all equal before God. How does one reconcile the overwhelming evidence of inequality with the statement of Sufi masters concerning our equality in relation to God? According to the practitioners of the Sufi path, we each have a unique, essential, or spiritual capacity. This capacity refers to our potential for reflecting the names and attributes of divinity. Consequently, no two individuals have the same reflective properties of spirituality. Sufi masters indicate every modality of spiritual reflectivity is precious to God. God cherishes each capacity because each potential has a uniqueness about it. Uniqueness does not fit a normal distribution. Indeed, God has equipped essential human capacity for maximum distributive dispersal. Nothing is ever repeated. According to Sufi masters, the divine will desires for all uniqueness to be manifested. Every instance of uniqueness displays and reflected form more and more of divine beauty and majesty. Every modality of uniqueness brings into existence a potential for unique reflectivity which has not been displayed previously and which will not be displayed again. No matter how beautiful a given expression of spiritual reflection may be, there are other potentials for reflection which have a dimension of uniqueness to them not found in the first potential. The reverse, of course, is also true. We each have been brought into existence to bring to dynamic realization our respective unique capacities for spiritual reflections of the divine names and attributes. Since our potentials are unique, different circumstances are necessary to activate them. The package of qualities associated with each of us is not arbitrary, nor is it a matter of the luck of the draw. These packages of qualities have been assigned to us by God. The assignment of these qualities is related to our essential spiritual capacity for reflecting divine names and attributes in a unique fashion. More specifically, each package of qualities is uniquely designed to provide the individual to whom they have been assigned with a sort of experiential challenges, struggles, and possibilities out of which essential capacity may be brought to mature fruition. The inequalities inherent in the various quality packages are necessary so that the different capacities for uniqueness can develop. However, one must be careful not to misunderstand what is being said here. There is often a difference between the quality package which God assigns to certain individuals and the quality package which people try to impose on those same individuals. The quality packages which people try to impose are shaped by ignorance, bias, injustice, evil, and so on. These human-generated quality packages are not taken in and of themselves conducive to the realization of our unique spiritual capacities. For example, if a government or ruler wanted to impose hunger, poverty, torture, danger, homelessness, and various forms of other abuse on a given group of people, this quote-unquote quality package could generate many problems for individuals trying to realize their essential 
spiritual capacity. At the same time, the attempted imposition of such human-generated quality packages is part of the quality package which God has assigned to us. The attempted imposition of the human-generated quality packages constitutes obstacles, challenges, and injustice which we are being asked to struggle with and against. Consequently, one is not being asked by God to endorse those processes involving the attempted imposition of human-generated quality packages onto humanity. One is being asked to resist them, but to do so in ways which will help one to realize one's essential spiritual capacity. Knowing how to accomplish this is very difficult. The challenge each of us faces is to engage and embrace the quality package assigned to us by God in accordance with the manner in which God intended such packages to be used. Those packages, when properly understood and utilized, become the key to finding our way to realization of our essential spiritual capacity. Among other things, the quality packages assigned to each of us by God involve a mixture of trials, tests, struggles, conflicts, and challenges. These packages also contain whatever assets are necessary for the realization of our capacity for spiritual reflection. The assets necessary for spiritual realization are not necessarily money, power, status, education, talent, creativity, and so on. In fact, such qualities, more often than not, can be obstacles and trials with which one must struggle in order to overcome their potential for undermining one's quest for spiritual realization. On the other hand, low-tech and low-capital qualities such as kindness, perseverance, simplicity, openness, sincerity, and so on, may be very important assets to have in one's quality package. What counts as a potential asset and what counts as a potential liability will vary from case to case according to what is necessary for spiritual realization. Having something can be just as much a problem as not having something. Each of these conditions entails its own brand of difficulty. Each of these conditions contains its own potential for benefit and development. We each are being given by God an equal opportunity in the form of our present lives to realize our unique, essential spiritual capacity. Each of these unique capacities has a dimension which renders them equally important to God as far as God's desire for the manifestation of all uniqueness is concerned. Each of us has been given a quality package of equal functional value with respect to what is necessary for the realization of our essential spiritual capacity. Since the quality package assigned by God fits essential spiritual capacity like an appropriate key fits a certain lock, any given individual's quality package is useless to everyone else. This is so because that package has the potential for unlocking only a specific lock in the form of a certain capacity. Ultimately, no quality is of value unless it can be utilized advantageously in the quest for the realization of our spiritual uniqueness. According to Sufi masters, whatever inequalities exist in the composition of the qualities in the packages that have been assigned to us by God, such inequalities need to be seen in the light of the underlying equalities which they are intended to serve. Apparent exceptions to the foregoing relationships between inequality and equality do exist. 
For example, there are people, in other words, infants, children, and some adolescents, who do not seem to live long enough to really say they are being given an equal opportunity to realize their unique spiritual capacity. However, for every departure from the relationship between inequality and equality, there are divine concessions and compensations which become operative. Those who have not had an equal opportunity in the above sense will be subject to different considerations, none of which will be to the person's disadvantage. These exceptions to the rule give expression to their own mode of uniqueness. As such, they are exceptions which prove the rule concerning God's desire for all modes of uniqueness to be manifested. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion. Music